and welcome to the weekly review. I have two guests here who have joined me. Please introduce yourselves. My name is Lenora Lee. Yeah, my name is Hien Huin. Thanks for being here. And there's an upcoming dance performance that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So you joined us uh, a few months ago. It's hard to keep track of the time these days. Um, and the last performance we saw was just really impactful. It was over on Angel Island. And I just, ugh, I can't say how touching it was. It was just really incredible. So, What were your thoughts about that as an experience <sighs> for an audience member? Um, and first we should also, the full name of the performance was... Within These Walls, and we created a sequel named yes. Dreams of Flight. Yes. It yes. was a, an immersive multimedia dance performance that was staged at the Angel Island Immigration Station on Angel Island State Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first time being to Angel Island, so just being in that in that space in nature that's so close to us felt pretty... Um, it just felt like a lot to be there in that space and then also to be in the particular environment where folks had lived. I think I could really feel the energy of what had taken place there. Mm-hmm. And so it brought... Uh, it's difficult to put into words. It felt like I just felt like all these emotions being in this space and then seeing, hearing these stories, hearing the people's words shared and interacting with the dancers and having sharing it just felt there are so many different it's difficult yeah it's difficult to put into words it just felt like it was touching on so many senses because it wasn't just visual it wasn't just audio it was more it was interactive as well and then also spiritual i think to be in the same place that people were before and to not be there at the same time as them and still to witness them in a way That particular immigration station was opened between 1910 and 1940. Uh, It burned down, the administration building burned down in 1940, so they moved it to the mainland. But during that time, there were approximately a million immigrants processed at that station, which most people, I think, maybe even from the Bay Area, don't know about. Mm -hmm. And so of those million immigrants, about 170,000 were Chinese. And because there was a Chinese Exclusion Act in place, um, many of the Chinese were held under scrutiny and held there for much longer periods of time. And they were uh, interrogated and basically imprisoned until they can prove their innocence. And maybe Hien was in the piece for uh, both renditions, both mm-hmm. in 2017 and in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I think he can talk a little bit about um, maybe the the differences between both of those performances, even though we restaged it for this past May, uh, we added a sequel, but there were differences in the actual um, approach to the audience members and the way that we came kind of charged and activated the second time, um, empowered with a lot of information from the first round, but also realizing that, you know, we had this ability to contribute to this dialogue and, uh, what, in terms of what's happening in the current, current time. Yeah. The, the first time we performed it, yeah, we had no idea of, of its reach and its profound um, impact in that moment. So the second time coming around this year, performing it, we knew what was at stake and we we tried our best to dive deeper into um, the, those, the stories that we were sharing. Mm-hmm. And um, Lenora gave me the opportunity to also meet 
with um, the mother of the person who uh, whose character mm. I was based off of. So we had a, a lunch date together, oh. and she shared with us a bit more of, of what happened to him after. And so with all that information in mind and what it felt to have lunch with her, then to go on to performing the piece the second time around, it was was new. It yeah. was new, and it felt um, deeper. And I think this time we ended on a much more hopeful tone, mm-hmm. um, um, a sense of spaciousness and, and um, allowance um, um, and hope. Yeah. Yeah, he played the character of Wang Gongju, and uh, his daughter, Penelope Wang, mm. was able to, during that luncheon, share quite a bit about her father, um, who he was as a person, his character, his accomplishments. Um, she gave some hints as to what his um, detention time could have been like, and how he was a bit of a dreamer, and he was always looking for. Um, that sense of hope and accomplishment and um, working really hard and achieving. So it was exciting to then build the sequel with this knowledge mm-hmm. and then to have certain sequences feature family, old family photos of him and um, the rest of their kin and uh, for he and to be able to embody the, the essence of him more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was quite exciting and um just a note on that, this year we received two awards. Oh, so Hien received, you want to just talk about your award? Yeah. <laughs> well, the piece itself from 2017 won um, an Outstanding Production Award from the Isadora Duncan Dance Awards Committee. Mm-hmm. And this was the first, we were the first recipients of it. It's a brand new category. And what it represents is a high level of achievement in all of the categories, whether that's choreography, performance, um, visual design um, text and music so they felt it was at a high level for all the categories and we're very honored to have received that one and he and won a special award as well for his performance yeah it was, it was very special to be with um, the whole cast and production there and to feel you know the, the work being shared and, and recognized on that level and to, to see that you know when we can go out and and um, share such important stories and, and, and feel the community receive it that way. And, and then to be honored right back, it was definitely um, a very beautiful evening. And um, my, my mother was in town uh, mm-hmm. that week. And, you know, at that time I had no idea. I, I received the nomination, but I had no idea what the results were. So she came to the ceremony too and then when they announced the name uh, i was able to bring her up on stage and it made my life (laughs) to see how happy she was and how how proud she was oh that's beautiful congratulations oh yeah thank you uh, yeah (laughs) (sighs) yeah it was a really touching performance and so you're also here to uh, speak about the new performance that you have coming up the first weekend of November. Yes, next weekend, November 1st through 3rd, we're performing a brand new piece entitled In the Skin of Her Hands at Dance Mission Theater, which is just a few blocks away from here. Mm-hmm. 
and we're going to be utilizing the different rooms in Dance Mission. They have a theater as well as two studios. So in the first half of the program, the audience members will get a chance to travel through the different rooms oh, wow. and to take a look at um, the vignettes and scenarios that we've been setting up. Mm-hmm. So for this piece, it's inspired by the experiences of those dealing with cancer, battling cancer, mm-hmm. specifically breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the last two months, I had the opportunity to interview 31 people. Wow. Um, some of them are cancer survivors and some are family members. Mm-hmm. Also uh, an oncologist and two physical therapists. And um, it's been an incredible process. I would have to say that I've learned so much, you know, from people, what people are willing to share Mm -hmm. about what they've gone through. And everyone has had very different experiences. Um, Some people have had, you know, very harsh physical dealings and um, um, chemotherapy and radiation and others have had a lighter load and dealing with the illness but regardless there was just um, so much richness to what they were sharing um, that we're including a lot of the voiceover bits of their stories within the piece so you'll hear in the sound score probably almost everybody (laughs) pretty much almost everybody in there sharing things Um, I could talk a little bit about you know, some commonalities, but also differences between them. And I'd actually, maybe while he and talks a little bit, I can open up some audio, sure. from the interviews and, and prepare that for you. Yeah. So maybe he and can talk a little bit about the genesis of the project and, um, yeah. how we created the work so yeah. far. Yeah. I'm curious as to what inspired it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Lenora, uh, opened up and shared with us that, her. Her sister Karina was diagnosed with breast cancer, and so this that sort of set the tone of how you know important and and how uh, close this work was going to be. And so at that in that realm too, we um, had an opportunity to um, take a workshop with um, Aerial Dance Company Bandaloop, mm-hmm. and so we we trained with them for um for the beginning of the year and some of us trained during the summer so we we learned how to to essentially fly (laughs) and um yeah just seeing how much lenora took on because she's you know they're interviewing over 30 people and hearing all these different stories and perspectives and we couldn't, I couldn't even imagine how heavy that could be. You know, yes, I'm just yes. here in, in the dance studio, just hearing the, the stories and narratives play, but I can't even imagine, you know, actually meeting each and every one and, and, you know, being with their stories. So in this sense, this project feels huge and, and how there's just, um, so many affected and so yeah. many family members is it just everyone is is together on this yes yeah and and i very very much look forward to opening day or the whole weekend as well because i could just imagine you know that those that are being interviewed are showing up their family their loved ones so it's just to me it's like a, a gathering a gathering and and just shown up to support and, and fight for this cause. 
Yeah, it is a it is something that I think affects every like I, I can't I don't think I know someone who doesn't hasn't who doesn't know someone who has been affected by breast cancer. It feels like it's such a unfortunately ubiquitous disease that it's yeah, it's just affected so many people. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, so uh, what you're about to hear uh, is an excerpt of something that we did. We performed an excerpt at the Jurassic Resident Artist Program in Woodside, California last weekend. And so the excerpt that you will hear right now is from a woman named Valerie So. She's a professor and a filmmaker at San Francisco State University. And um, her thoughts on her experiences with breast cancer. Okay. Well, you know, this is the funny thing about me is that I do a lot of social media. And so I posted it on social media pretty much as soon as I started treatment. And then, I would, and then after a while, I started posting a lot on social media. Like I would post like when I was getting my chemo or like, you know, my various hair or hats or wigs or whatever. And I think people enjoyed sort of following that journey for whatever reason. Um, so for me, it was always very transparent. Uh, I have another friend who's got... It's some form of leukemia, and she's gone through treatment twice. Like, she's done that thing where they take out, like, do something with her bone marrow, and then she has to be in isolation for a month. Like, really intense. And she said she thinks it's really important for people to know when you have cancer because she thinks it's a public health crisis, right? She thinks it's not just, like, people don't just happen to be getting this. There's, like, environmental reasons why people are getting this all the time. And so for her, it was almost like a, this thing. It's like she wants people to know that something can, needs to be done. Yeah. Right. Some people worry about job security, too, like if they're going to be discriminated against because they're sick. And again, you know, I'm really lucky because I am in a position where I have job security and I'm protected. So, but I could see that. I mean, they can't legally fire you, but they could certainly do find other ways to let you go so So that was really helpful for me just to not worry so much about why it happened because then what happens is you stop thinking it's something I did right it's something I have to blame myself for some flaw in my life Mm -hmm. and then for me it was just like getting through it at that point and just always thinking focusing on getting through whatever treatment I was doing Yeah, so that was um, an excerpt from Valerie So's interview. And what you'll hear right now are um, two sections. One is um, from a woman who uh, shared about her experience, and then from an oncologist who I interviewed. Her name is uh, Pamela Munster. She works at UCSF. She's a researcher and an oncologist. And she had a lot of insight in terms of sharing about what her patients deal with, and she's written a book as well. So we can go ahead and listen to that. And in oncology, where there are things coming up all the time, new information, nothing is 100% right. I think that caretakers try their best, but the knowledge platform is always changing, which is a good thing. I think we are learning more all the time My name is Pamela Munster. I'm a Swiss native. I came to the U.S. when I was 28. I, my 
professional life is really focused on developing new treatments for people with advanced cancer. My focus is actually breast cancer. And then I have a particular interest in, in younger women and fertility and, and hereditary cancer. So it was quite surprising that I was then diagnosed with breast cancer at 48 and I was sort of like not feeling um, that I met any criteria of, of, you know, we don't have a large cancer family. My father's a single child. So I found out that I have a, a BRCA2 mutation. So all of a sudden I found myself with the, a disease where I'm really an expert in. Um, it was an interesting um, position to be in. You know, on one hand I knew so much about this disease. Um, and on the other hand, as a, as a patient, you realize how little you, one actually knows. So I wrote a book, Twisting Fate, about uh, the perspective as a physician and patient. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a lot of uh, what I'm going through is like really through the initial stages of, of what the patient experience, what the medical science behind is. But then also how this phenomenon of the cancer blues, mm -hmm. uh, how, how significant the the part depression, part, um, it's not just depression, it's this incredible uncertainty. Depression is just one part, but there's, a, there's another really strong feeling that's really hard to place or explain to someone, mm -hmm. unless you have been there, and that's this uncertainty that comes with the loss of your immortality. And that sort of like black vertex that people fall into. I think everyone has to find their own ways of self-calming or, or accepting. For some people it's faith, for some people it's friendship, and for other people it's exercise. Mm -hmm. And hopefully for many it's all of them. And, and I think a lot of it is time. The, the way to acceptance is, is it's, uh, not, uh, not easy. And you know, I grew up in, in, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more pressure on people in the U.S. to be happy, and that is particularly prevalent in California. California is my absolute favorite place to live, but it's also um, a challenging environment to live in. There's the sense here the sky is the limit, but that also gives you that need to constantly reach for the sky, right? when you could allow yourself a day of non-reaching. You know, there's, uh, there's clearly there's, uh, there's factors that are well known and they are clear and there's nothing much you can do about it. And one of them is like having a hereditary cancer mutation like BRCA1 and 2 at the highest risk for, for breast cancer. Like if you have BRCA1 or 2 mutation, you have a 70% risk of having cancer, breast cancer over life. And then there's other mutations that have a lower risk in the 20 to 40% is like ATM check to uh, and many other mutations. And then, of course, there are environmental factors. Obesity. Alcohol has been associated with an increased risk of breast cancer, and frankly, excessive alcohol is bad for everybody, right? Because there's, there's a lot of heart disease associated with obesity. It's like, a, there's not a liver, doesn't like a lot of alcohol either. And then other risk factors are um, excessive estrogen and progesterone exposure has been associated, but is a, is a magnitude lower than, than hereditary mutations. Right lack of exercise or sedentary lifestyle is clearly associated with an increased risk for breast cancer. And exercise is valuable on so many levels 
that I, I would encourage every woman to exercise regularly. It just does a lot of good things for, sure. all, for overall health, overall emotional well-being. Nice to go out with friends and walk through a forest and just sit in a cafe and smoke. So, um, and other risk factors are, we don't know yet, maybe lack of sleep. Sleep has uh, become a much more well-known uh, of a risk uh, a negative health factor if you don't sleep enough. How this pertains to breast cancer mm -hmm. is unclear. Some Scandinavian countries have now made breast cancer and shift worker uh, a uh, work-related illness. So and there's clearly emerging data on that. I think like on a medical front, we have a lot of good resources, a lot of good treatment, there's a lot of advances and we make a lot of progress when it comes to breast cancer. When it comes to equipping people with the way to handle it, we do very poorly. And you know, mental health support in the US is abysmal at best. Right? It's like there's virtually no support, you know, like, uh, and uh, what I see a lot is um, when you have a mastectomy, the, the surgical impact is quite significant. You got to get the awareness out there of the lymphatic yes. system and how important it is. It's a second circulatory system that is so key and doing a whole body approach into making the body work as a whole unit is, is really so important. These treatments between chemo and radiation, you're killing a lot of cells and it all has to go through your whole lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system is what keeps us alive. It just can't process and clean everything out fast enough. So with my radiation, that was when I started having issues of swelling and you end up trapping a lot of fluids that doesn't get out unless you work on manually trying to get it moving out of the area. You gotta get the scar tissue broken down, you gotta get the fluid moving. It's with the radiation, now you get scarring, you got the swelling, and then of course you get the blistering. Swelling is a function of the ribs not moving. If you get the ribs moving, you're gonna use the whole body pump to start getting the whole vascular system moving because the lymphatic system runs with the vascular system. Well, you know, this is the funny thing about me is that I do a lot of social media. And so I posted it on social media pretty much as soon as I started treatment. And then, I would, and then after a while, I started posting a lot on social media. Like I would post like when I was getting my chemo or like, you know, my various hair or hats or wigs or whatever. And I think people enjoyed sort of following that journey for whatever reason. Um, so for me, it was always very transparent. Uh, I have another friend who's got... It's some form of leukemia, and she's gone through treatment twice. Like, she's done that thing where they take out, like, do something with her bone marrow, and then she has to be in isolation for a month. Like, really intense. And she said she thinks it's really important for people to know when you have cancer because she thinks it's a public health crisis, right? She thinks it's not just, like, people don't just happen to be getting this. There's, like, environmental reasons why people are getting this all the time. And so for her, it was almost like... A, Things like she so what you will hear in a second is a clip that 
uh, I recorded we with my sister, about the word Karina. This, you know, and I think that it does describe uh, the initial onset of metastatic cancer because you're in this overwhelming dark place where you didn't even know that something has just taken over your entire body. You know, it's everywhere. It's in every bone in your body, in your organs. And you didn't even know that it was in there growing. And all of a sudden you have this impending possibility of death. And you have to pull your shit together <laughs> and swim and swim up towards the light and keep treading water and uh, find your way out of the abyss, uh, holding it together, being strong mentally and physically. And it's not an overnight process. It's uh, keep treading water and going towards this, swimming towards the surface for months and months and months until you get a handle on things, until you're a little bit lighter and you're floating a little bit easier, you know, until um, your body is fighting those cancer cells and and building a defense uh, uh, in your own body. And so uh, that word, it makes a lot of sense for, for the first, uh, I think, year. That sort of sums up the, the struggle being thrown in the deep end and then having to either sink or swim. So of course I chose to swim, uh, but you know, and to come out ahead and floating and sort of relaxing now, relaxing and floating. <laughs> yeah. What do you feel has influenced you along the way? What kept you motivated? And you're listening to the weekly review on Mutiny Radio. But then I immediately thought, oh my grandma, she worked two jobs for as long as I can remember. That example of being such a hard worker and coming from Colombia with barely anything. I mean, she has more than any of us financially and like assets and everything. Um, she has more than all of us put together, you know, and that's, that, that's very impressive, you know, I, I, and, and she worked for every single bit of it, you know, she's smart, you know, she's a very good businesswoman, um, and she came knowing just Spanish. She is. She is feisty, she's a warrior, she's a go-getter, she... I think if death came come knocking at her door, she will say, I'm busy, come back later. Like my little granddaughter says, she's strong, intelligent, fuerte, valiente, inteligente, and uh, courageous. 
If there's anything I want to do, then I should go do it. Don't wait. I was at a low point, but now, after a year or two, now I'm relaxed, happy. Although I am doing less work, the money is not the most important. The most important is if the person is living happily. I mean, literally, like life is too short to put up with your idiocies. Um, and I'm sure that that urgency comes from being sick. You know, you kind of realize that you could die any day. But at the same time, you know, I think I really appreciate life a lot more too. And maybe that's that was something that uh, we needed to go through to appreciate, to appreciate who she is, and give her the best that we can. Maybe things happen for a reason, not always. But I like to think that maybe this illness is giving us an opportunity for exploring another type of love with her. And welcome back. Thank you so much for playing these clips. There's a... There's a lot there. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Something I was um, curious about was what was the process like in terms of... I mean, you spoke to a lot of folks and there's only a limited amount of time, I would imagine, for the performance. So what was the process like in terms of selecting which pieces to use? Sure, yeah. We So we put a call out earlier this year for people who m- might be interested in sharing their stories. And it, the word got spread that way. We also publicized it in different ways. And then I think it spread through word of mouth as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, of the 31 interviews mm, in the last two months, not only were we creating the dance material together, but I was on the backside, you know, going through the interviews multiple times, trying to um, pinpoint either experiences that I felt were very unique amongst the group mm-hmm. or certain things that were commonalities. And I felt that it was also very important to have the oncologist and the healthcare professional perspective as well. Um, It was challenging and continues to be challenging because I feel like uh, so much of what people shared is important and probably, you know, not very well known by the general public. Mm. Um, You know, to give an example, there was one woman who uh, was at General Hospital and she her regular doctor was not around but she was dealing with the chemotherapy and um, she ended up falling into a coma and they weren't sure why Mm. Um, and the family was um, not sure if she was going to come out of it so they were making preparations you know considering selling the house and trying to figure out how to cover the costs if she does pass um and but by some miracle she came back and she was able to come out of it and they realized later after her regular doctor had come back is that she had hepatitis b and after each chemo session they were supposed to have tested her blood um but they didn't realize that uh, her liver failed basically and um, then because of her case, then they, they put into motion certain practices to make sure that everybody gets tested. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just feel like it was an unfortunate situation as well because she's an immigrant woman and 
the way that she shared it with me was that it was a miracle. And, and I definitely felt that. But I also felt uh, were there some barriers that she had to deal with due to language, perhaps. Um, but also, you know, having people uh, who are familiar with the healthcare system here or um, are, have lived their lives or generations of their lives here who could advocate for her or could have advocated for her. So there were actually a lot of interesting occurrences um, that, that struck me and where I felt like I had to deal with certain questions about Eth- being ethical and um, mm. my place of privilege and when should I speak and when should I not um, but really I, I mm. felt like I, it wasn't my place to say anything or make particular comments but really it was giving them the space to share about what occurred yeah yeah yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are a lot of a lot of different stories, and um, we, you know, those of us that got a chance to listen to it were quite moved by all of them, uh, and particularly the the resilience in um, this quest to live, you know, and the 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 overarching feeling of not being willing to succumb to the disease. You know, of course, there were people who passed and of family members of people who passed that I got the chance to interview as well. Mm. And so they shared another perspective on, you know, their roles as caretakers mm-hmm. and how uh, that could be challenging and uh, require a lot of energy and different emotional and psychological tactics to keep their loved ones um, hopeful yes. and pushing forward. Um as well as their their research for various different and new um, methods of treatment, mm-hmm. you know. So it was mm, a very yeah. I feel like I'm just yeah. opening the door to this type of research, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, because the there's been such a short short span of of time for me to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. But and and and. I, I will have to say, I will say publicly that if folks do want to share their stories with me, I'm mm-hmm. more than welcome to continue this interview process to be able to capture stories. Oh, you know, I think um, the project will continue in various forms past this performance next weekend. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything, Ian? Maybe Ian can talk a little bit about the rehearsal process and how we've been dealing with the material and putting things together. Because for Hian, who came in two years ago, we've done more um, site-specific works together. And the first one was on Angel Island. The second one was in a swimming pool. (laughs) Then Angel Island again. Mm -hmm. This is our first opportunity to work together inside a proscenium theater. Yeah, um, alongside that, you know, uh, last year, um, Lenora said we were going to do a, a project in, underwater, and I didn't know how to swim, and, and um, our other dancer, Johnny, didn't know how to swim either, so we 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 were <laughs> we jumped in and we learned how to swim for the project, oh, and wow. and this year we're engaging in aerial work, and neither of us have have done or. Uh, Many of us in the company haven't done it before, so now we're flying together. So it's it's been really fun to just jump in these unknown territories for us and to explore in that way. 
and um, alongside, you know, feeling the the parallel um, just essence of navigating through um, unpredictable circumstances and situations and, and pathways and how we can support one another and how, you know, we're, we're we may be limited in certain ranges, but then there's also things that are, um, say, und- undiscovered mm-hmm. in certain areas. So it's it's been a big um, kind of like boxes of mystery opening <laughs> on the horizon. Um, yeah, we're first time working together in a proscenium theater felt like so strange because you know we're usually at the site in the building um with the audience and and so now to be shape-shifted into um a certain section of a proscenium theater i know i felt myself kind of like uh unfamiliar again (laughs) to, to this but then yeah i think what um just keeps us going is just remembering that we're here honoring these stories that are being shared and and um yeah a part of me um imagines you know like particularly with with this um circumstance it's sort of that unpredictability of it where you don't know your time um frame sometimes and it's like with your loved ones you don't know how much time you have with them and uh, and and so there's like this unknown ticking clock mm-hmm. sort of present and so yeah my my heart goes out to to all those facing and facing it together and 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 the bravery that that entails and also the like Lenora was saying the resiliency of how you know, there's so many different ways of modes of research, and from from your from your dietary to your spiritual well-being, and like all these things that support it, or just simply being with somebody you love, and and how that captures and and um, keeps you going, keeps you fighting, and so yeah, it's been very warm and, and inspiring to to be with. As Hian mentioned earlier, you know, part of the inspiration for the project was when my sister got diagnosed last year. And at that time, we didn't, we just were all caught off guard. And, and she had uh, stage four mm-hmm. metastatic breast cancer. So it had already spread from both breasts to the lymph nodes to her uh, liver and her bones. And we were all just kind of scrambling, trying to figure out how best to support her, mm-hmm. um, what would be the best mode of treatment for her. She was getting lots of different opinions from health care professionals that we knew or were related to. And um, so at that point, given given what I felt I was capable of doing to help support was... I wanted to be able to interview her and just for her her to have the space to 
and talk about whatever she wanted to share in terms of what she was going through, all the information she was learning, you know, how she felt her family was going through um, this simultaneously. She has four kids and she runs a business with her husband. So it was a huge kind of shift in her life and it really forced her to to turn the mirror on herself and um take a look at how how can i heal from this you know what is it that that i need to shift in terms of my lifestyle to make the adjustments um and uh, give my body the space to heal and so that was really it it was that first interview with her where I felt, oh, wow, I'm just totally reminded, even though we grew up together, I was reminded, oh my gosh, my sister, she's a strong woman, you know, she's a fighter, and there's there's no doubt that she's just going to keep pushing, which she did. I mean, she's always problem solving, she's always trying to think of, you know, alternatives, uh, ways to look at things, seeking out information, um, and so really, I mean, if we, if I were to say, okay, how did she heal? Well, she figured it out, you know, <laughs> she, she can figure it out or like she can come to, you know, the, the solutions to problems. And, um, but of course, you know, there is there, you're faced with this question of like, what's your time frame now? Mm-hmm. And how do we look at our time together, yes. uh, in a way that is generous, but also very clear, so that we can appreciate the time that we have together. Um, and through this process for me, I did a lot of writing actually. And I did, um, I mean, I could share some of that writing, but we did writing, uh, as a way for me to process it like over time. And then, um, we ended up building this piece. You know, we have some financial support through grants, but because it was such a short timeline, really, um, we are still fundraising for this project. Um, And so, especially if it's going to be an ongoing project, I think Mm -hmm. it's worth it to consider, you know, how can we support this type of research in the long run? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. I appreciate all forms of art and that can really open up conversations and bring people into spaces where they might not either feel comfortable or really know how to get involved, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that you've put this together. Mm, Thank you. And also just highlighting so many voices and recognizing that every person has their own journey and their own perspective on how they handle a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe I can share also uh, the artistic collaborators in the project. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Yes. So we're uh, we're working with longtime collaborators Olivia Ting with the media design, and um, saxophonist composer Francis Wong and uh, bassist Tatsuo Aoki, mm-hmm. who's in Chicago. Francis is based here, and um, we're utilizing some existing music tracks from Tatsu's from his ensemble in Chicago. We're having some live vocalization and singing from three members of the group here during the show with a a cast of seven. So we have Hien, we have Johnny Wen, uh, Megan Lowe. So Megan has a background in aerial dance. She's uh, been dancing with Flyaway Productions and teaching with Bandaloop. And we have Lin Huang, 
as San San Juan. San San teaches at UC Berkeley in mm-hmm. dance and performance studies. We have Jory Horn, who also has experience in aerial dance. Yeah. And so um, we're excited to be bringing this to you. We can also offer tickets. So again, the performances are November 1st and 2nd at Mm -hmm. 8 o'clock and November 3rd at 5 o'clock. The program runs a little over an hour. And then we're having a post-performance panels by some of the interviewees and healthcare professionals. So each night it'll be a different panel. Oh, great. Yeah. And if folks would like to purchase tickets, should they go to your website? Yes, okay. yes, which is Lenora Lee Dance, L E N O R A L E E D A N C E dot com. Mm-hmm. Great. Excellent. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Uh, no, just um, we hope to see you there this weekend. Again, the performance is at Dance Mission, uh, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Uh, Friday and Saturday will be at 8 p.m. and Sunday will be at 5 p.m. and yeah it would be amazing if you all could come out and be with us be with the interviewees and just share that space and time to um, reflect um, uh, brainstorm and, and, and just yeah be with each other during this moment in time yeah and I would imagine that each performance will be not only unique in that all performances are unique, and I imagine that given the folks who will be there afterwards, the conversations afterwards will be different as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So folks could come every night and see a different performance. Mm-hmm. I can share a couple of um, writings. Um, he and has some writing as well that we did as part of this pr- uh, project and process. And uh, this is something that I wrote Uh, I'll give a a couple of short excerpts. Mm -hmm. I received a voicemail from my father who said, Karina's oncologist called and said the cancer has spread from both breasts to her lymph nodes to her liver and bones. I hold myself up against the glass windows separating me and the pool from the lobby on the outside. I call my father and he confirms it. Standing in the shower, water flows from the pools of my eyes to cross the intersection of the chlorine water being rinsed from my skin down into the drain of forever. They said this type of cancer isn't detected on regular mammograms. It was only until I complained about the masses that they ordered the 3D ultrasound for me. The technician knew right away that it had spread. Through the blood and the bones, through the tissues and organs, infectious, seeking pathways of their own to new territory, new cells, inhabiting more and more space in her being. If it's not an untype common, if it's not an uncommon type of cancer, why don't they screen as a preventative measure? Then they're missing entire populations who have this. We feel the rivers flowing through the depths of her veins through the question of tomorrow, through the broken visions of the future, to the pale softness of her skin, holding the storm inside. (sighs) Here's one more short one um, that's a little bit more general. The tides that ripple behind and in front, immersed in a sea, an ocean. 
The sunlight glistens across the tips of the waves out to the abyss of the horizon. The nerves calm. Everything releases to the beauty of this water all around, as wide as one can see, as deep as the center of the earth, extended for thousands of years, for generations of life, hosting and giving birth to creatures abound. Look closer. What do you see? Can you see beneath the surface of where the air meets the waves, this dividing line of lands, land creatures and those of the sea? A fourth wall. A fifth wall? Who is the viewer and who is being witnessed? Dive into the ocean of sun rays beaming down through the ripples of the water. As you fall closer and closer to the earth, through the stratospheres, the layers of life, the oxygen amasses. Where will you land? Who will you meet? What journeys will come about? Do I have anything? Is this you? Ian has a writing also. From the self, beyond the self, a collective consciousness, the interconnectedness of all beings, universal frequencies, love in its purest form of frequency, energy, our capacity to awaken compassion, clarity, seeing the goodness and light in ourselves and the universe. We inherit the deeds, the trauma, the gifts of our ancestry, but spiritually and morally, we can be binded, traced, overcome, and bestowed with both burden and gift. Walking serendipitously, highest frequency, love the selfless, giving of mother figures. There's an allowance that opens the window of the being, two channels, the voices cry and call of that which is necessary to be manifested and shared. Oh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, oh. I think that's a nice way to close. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, Lenora and Ian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you, Roman. Very much look forward to the performance. Yeah. Uh, we can offer some know. tickets too to your listeners. Oh yes. So whenever you feel like it, we can give three pairs of tickets away. Okay. Yeah, for the Friday performance, November first. Uh, oh, at wonderful. 8 yeah, and we'll put it that way. If um, three tickets, just email us at Lenora Lee Dance Two at gmail dot com. That's Lenora L E N O R A Lee L E E Dance D A N C E Two, the number two, at gmail dot com. Just email us and mention Mutant Radio and um, your first name and last name and the first three people to email us will receive those three tickets oh wonderful thank you <laughs> yeah oh, thank you alright well we're going to take a bit of a music break here and then we'll be back with the rest of the program so thanks again for being here thanks. and we'll see you the first weekend of November yeah. see you Roman
and welcome back to the weekly review. Big thank you to uh, Lenora and Hien for coming in. Really looking forward to checking out this show. Uh, for more info, again, please go to LenoraLeeDance.com. So right now, it's technically Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019. This show will be replayed again this Friday, October 25th. So, yeah, that's the date. Wow, a lot's on my mind at the moment. Did want to say thank you so much for tuning in. And so recording on a different day, there's, yeah, I'm uh, feeling a little bit all over the place with my head. And we're still going to put this all together. One would think that recording a little bit in advance might include having more things being complete or uh, run smoothly, and that's not necessarily the case. Also, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and oftentimes there are folks who they think they're producers and, and everything, and then I remember, okay, uh, putting this together, I uh, have a lot of voices and a lot of folks here, and at the end of the day, uh, I, I don't have a producer exactly, so perhaps that's why it feels a little bit rocky at times. Anyway, we do appreciate folks listening. And now I'll be going into uh, another part of the show. Yeah, I'm going to mostly just have other folks talking during the show because I am getting my thoughts together. Did want to acknowledge that we are on Ohlone land. And for folks, if you'd like to read up more, you can go to com, and that is R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H com and it talks about the history of the land and folks who are on the land before it was colonized so wanting to put that out there as a resource also especially for folks in the east bay to please pay the shumi land tax and you can type in s-h-u-u-m-i land tax and that will bring you to the segorite land trust in the east bay area and learn more about the ohlone folks and give back to the land Okay, cool. So, coming up next, I am going to be playing an excerpt of a previous show that we did on September 27th, 2019. The election's coming up in San Francisco. I descri- Well, I used to describe myself as an anarchist who votes, which I guess is kind of contradictory. However, I recognize having certain people in positions of power who um, aren't terrible is better than having people in positions of power who are. And, wow, that's that's a great promotion. Anyway, did I mention that we don't really edit the show? Therefore, uh, we did want to play a previous interview that we did with Chesa Bodine. And Chesa is running for district attorney here in San Francisco. And you know Chesa's on the right side of things because the Police Officers Association are already donating to a PAC to influence the person who's running against him or the person who's got the most votes against him so far, Susie Loftus, who the uh, mayor has put in, decided to put in even before the election. Uh, The police officers, uh, the association supports her. So recognizing that someone who wants to really work for reform is running, that person should have the support. I hope this sounds like a decent endorsement. It's true. We are endorsing him. And if you'd like to hear more, and you most certainly can hear more, check out the interview with him that 
we had on the show a couple weeks ago, and we're going to be playing that in just a few minutes here. Wow. Okay. So, again, you can find it at the Mutiny Radio archive. If you go to mutinyradio.fm, I'm going to uh, get my thoughts together and chill out for a little bit. So in the meantime, I'm going to play a little bit of a music break, and then we're going to go into the interview with Chesa Bodine. And again, if you want to check out the... There's a couple voting guides that are out in San Francisco. There's the Pissed Off Voters Guide, and they have endorsed him. Juanita Moore has also endorsed him. A lot of folks have endorsed him. So again, November 5th, vote for Chesa Boudin. And yeah, also if you're in District 5, Dean Preston. So that's where that's where we're going. All right, so now I'm going to put on some music, and then we'll get to the, our interview so you can hear more from Chesa himself. Again, a big thank you to uh, to folks tuning in. And if you'd like to support the station, that would be super helpful. You can go to mutinyradio.fm. There's a... Uh, there's a... Uh, Donate button. Wow. You know, I meditated this morning. I even worked out a little bit this morning. I biked this morning. One would think that perhaps I'd be more clear-headed. And I am still just so... There's so much going on in the world, and that's always been the case. However, just a lot going on. So thanks for bearing with me. Also, I'd appreciate it if you could donate to the show. It'd be a big help. I come here. I volunteer. I do the show. Try to put on try to just talk about important things that are happening and I'm happy to volunteer my time and also if folks could donate it would also help out quite a bit so if you're able to go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev anywhere from a dollar a month and more would be gratefully great greatly helpful thanks to all the folks who do donate all right and here's some music and then as mentioned before, we'll have the interview with Chesa that we did a few weeks ago. Please do vote if that's something that you're into on November 5th and help get out the word to folks who choose to vote. And here's an end of one song. And then, yeah, this is one of the rougher shows that I've done. And that's okay, because that's how life is.
revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 District. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Beverly Hill Police and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationists and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Thank you. 
And welcome back to the Weekly Review. I'm joined here by Chesa Boudin. Chesa, thanks for being here. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I thought we could start off if you wanted to talk a little bit about what brings you into the studio. It could be pretty much anything, but whatever you'd like to start with. Well, I'm excited to be a candidate for San Francisco district attorney. The election mm-hmm. is about 39 days away from today. Mm-hmm. And it's a really unique and exciting moment in San Francisco history. It's the first time in over a century where there's no incumbent running for re-election. Mm-hmm. And it happens to coincide with the first time in, in really any of our lifetimes when there's been a broad national consensus that the criminal justice system is broken, that the status quo approach is not making us safer, is wasting tax dollars, and is destroying families and communities. And it's that intersection of San Francisco circumstance with national criminal justice reform movement that led me to decide to run for San Francisco district attorney. Mm-hmm. And I think many folks could argue that the criminal justice system isn't indeed broken, but it's working as it has been designed, which is to cause a lot of harm for many people. Right. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's, a, it's a question of framing. What we know is it's costing us about 10% of our state budget just for the Department of Corrections. Oh. That doesn't account for local expenditures at the county level. And we know that it's a system of mass incarceration where the United States leads the world in locking people up, 25% of the world's prisoners. And we know that the impact of that incarceration rate is not evenly distributed. It's much more likely to fall heavily on black and brown communities, on uh, LGBTQ communities, transgender communities. And um, in San Francisco in particular, we have a horrific problem with racial disparities in incarceration. About 4% of the city's population is black, but more than 50% of the jail is black. And and that's really one of the most visible manifestations of, of what people have come to call mass incarceration. Yes. Yes. And also we've seen like with the homeless sweeps too, like homeless folks and I think folks with uh, are mentally ill are also can be victims of police violence quite a bit as well. We've yeah, seen. We, we've seen over decades of increasingly tough on crime policies, an approach that really criminalizes poverty, mm-hmm. criminalizes mental health, uh, and criminalizes drug addiction in ways that are not only inhumane and uh, wasteful of resources, but also actually undermine public safety. And my campaign right. is really all about bringing um, a new, fresh approach to criminal justice, one that takes a broader view of the context in which crimes are committed, Mm -hmm. and that focuses on trying to prevent crime and heal the harm that crime has caused, rather than simply punishing people who've committed a crime. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading an op-ed earlier that folks had written about how police are sometimes brought into the ideas to solve the problem, but they end up causing more of the problems. One of the things we see, that's exactly right, you know, one of the things that we see, especially in high crime neighborhoods and in heavily policed neighborhoods, in San Francisco and across the country, is that many people who are victims of crime, whether it be domestic violence or shootings, hesitate to call the police to report crimes because of their fear, in some cases of retaliation, Mm -hmm. but in many cases, fear that the response by the police will actually re-traumatize them or create more problems than they're suffering at the hands of their abusers. That's something we need to change. And it has to start with restoring the integrity of the police department, restoring and rebuilding the trust between communities and law enforcement that's sworn to serve and protect those communities. I, pardon me, I'm a little bit skeptical of 
being able to, if the if it's systemically, if police have been brought in to, in many ways, protect property and wealthy folks, is it possible then to even save that institution? Is and is it even worth saving? Well, so I think that's that's the challenge is to find ways to make sure that our law enforcement is not just working for, to benefit and protect the few, mm -hmm. but is actually working for all of us. So I've dedicated my life to ensuring that the criminal justice system benefits everybody, protects everybody, mm -hmm. not just the rich and powerful and yeah. the well-connected. And we know that in San Francisco as across the country, all too often, whether you're a crime victim or whether you're someone who's accused of committing a crime, the quality of justice you receive depends on the color of your skin, mm -hmm. what zip code you live in, mm -hmm. and how much money you have in your bank account. Right. And that's gotta change. And that's why I'm running for district attorney. Cool, great. So what got you interested in uh, deciding to pursue this path? Well, let me take you back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. When I was born, yeah. my parents uh, dropped me off at the babysitter. I was about 14 months old. Mm -hmm. And they had it off for the day, told the babysitter they'd pick me up that night, mm -hmm. but they never came back. While I was at the babysitter, my parents participated as unarmed drivers in a tragically bungled armed robbery that mm -hmm. left three men dead. Mm -hmm. Those men had families, had children, uh, those families were torn apart by the crime my parents participated in. Mm -hmm. Even though my parents weren't killed or physically injured that day, our family was also torn apart right. because of the crime my parents committed. My mother ended up serving 22 years in prison. Mm -hmm. My father is still incarcerated. Mm -hmm. He may never get out. As a result, my earliest memories are going through steel gates, waiting in lines of mostly black and brown women and children, mm -hmm just to see my parents, just to give them a hug. Years, decades now of visiting my parents in prison taught me some hard lessons about how broken our criminal justice system is. Broken for victims of crime who have so little to show mm -hmm. for the billions of dollars that we invest in punishment. Broken for the people who've been convicted of crimes, who go to what we call the Department of Corrections and rehabilitation, mm -hmm. but where we know no one is being corrected or rehabilitated. Right, and we right. have recidivism rates of above two thirds in California Oof. and even higher in San Francisco County Jail. Mm. And of course, the system is also broken for the communities where crimes are committed because those communities are being torn apart. Instead of investing in education, building new schools and universities, mm -hmm. California has focused for decades on building new prisons. Yeah. Instead of providing equal justice, mm -hmm. we've got this horrifically discriminatory system that undermines public safety called money bail, which I'm proud to say I've fought for years mm -hmm. to end. Um, and it's, it's uh, those kinds of problems that I saw firsthand yeah. growing up, day in, day out, going into prisons to visit my parents, um, receiving phone calls from them on recorded Department of Corrections mm. phone lines, and thinking about how little punishing my parents was doing to heal the harm that they had caused. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's that, that's sort of the life journey that led mm -hmm. me to decide to become a San Francisco public defender. Mm -hmm. As a public defender, I represent people who are too poor mm -hmm. to hire their own attorney to make sure that they also have equal justice. Right. As San Francisco's next district attorney, my goal is going to be really similar in some ways to make yes. sure that everybody in this city no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how well-connected they are, mm -hmm. has equal justice under law. Yes. And I've been hearing about a few other district attorneys uh, across the country who have also, like there was Tiffany Caban, I believe, in, in New York, and there was also was a 
person in, I think, Pennsylvania, like Larry Kresner. Yeah. Yeah, this is part of a national movement. Mm -hmm. um, you've named a couple. Um, Tiffany Caban came within 55 votes of, yeah. of winning her race. Yeah, really I'm disappointing. I had announced that because initially I think at first they reported that she had won and Correct. I reported it on the show. And then I was sad to learn that was not the case. Correct. It, you know, it was one of those situations where uh, she was ahead by over a thousand votes mm -hmm. on election night. Yes. And then, you know, the machine was against her from day one. Yes. And yes. she was running a grassroots campaign. Um, it was really people powered. She never had the, the fundraising or the institutional support. Mm -hmm. And when they did a recount, um, they magically found enough ballots that and, and threw many of hers out to where she ended up losing by 55 mm. votes. But I'll tell you, you know, her uh, election and her movement mm -hmm. has inspired people around the country. Yes. Um, it certainly yes. has energized our campaign, mm -hmm. helped generate volunteers for our campaign here in San Francisco. And I'm really honored to be supported by not only Tiffany Caban, but as you mentioned, Larry Krasner, mm -hmm. the elected district attorney in Philadelphia, as well as Kim Fox. Oh, yes, in Chicago. In Chicago, yes. exactly. And Rachel Rollins in Boston. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the people who are really leading our progressive criminal justice reform movement, mm -hmm. who are finding creative ways to reduce mass incarceration, mm -hmm. reduce racial disparities, mm -hmm. increase transparency and accountability for police and other law enforcement agents while keeping our community safe. And I'm really lucky to have their support and to be able to work with them mm -hmm. on implementing um, successful policies that they've modeled in their jurisdictions here in San Francisco starting in January. That's great. So what if so if folks are interested in like helping your campaign, are there ways people can volunteer and or help to get the word out? Absolutely. Um, we are a grassroots campaign mm -hmm. and we depend on people power, creativity, energy, um, you name it, it's really coming from our volunteer base. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things people can do uh, depending on their skills. We'd love to have people phone bank, knock on doors, um, help out around the campaign headquarters, social media. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing to do is go to our website, www.chesaboudin.com. C-H-E-S-A-B-O-U-D-I-N.com. That's C H E S A. B-O-U-D-I-N.com. You can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up to have a window sign delivered to put in your window. Oh, yeah. We'll put uh, one up here. Oh, great. Yeah. I think I think we have one uh, we can we can leave with you at great. the end of the show. Um, and there's lots of other ways people can get involved. So mm -hmm. we, we'd love to have support. And you know, we really look at this as more than just an election campaign. We're, we're building a movement, um, and it's going to continue the organizing and the grassroots energy has to continue after Election Day. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how we're going to effectuate the kinds of changes that we're committed to. Excellent. Yes, I believe um, I saw you. I I've, have volunteered a bit for Shahid's campaign. And so I, I believe I saw you at the farmer's market. Uh, That's right. I think we were at the, in the inner sunset, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a great farmer's market. I've lived uh, in the outer sunset for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the inner sunset farmer's market is, is close to my home. Always been one of my favorite locations. And we have a lot of supporters in that neighborhood. So I'm always happy to go and and uh, get a snack and talk to voters. That's great. Is there anything else you'd like to share? We do have some more time. However, I know you're on a, a time crunch, so. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. There are a couple specific issues I'd like to talk about mm -hmm. that are real priorities for me in the campaign, and also a couple things that I'd, I'd like to share that I'm proud to have worked on over the last few years. Because yes. I think when it comes to deciding who to vote for, mm -hmm. for me personally, one of the most important things is not just the rhetoric that someone uses or the promises that they make, but also the track record that they have. Mm -hmm. And so I think, 
you know, the reason I've been able to uh, build such a big movement and, and have so many volunteers is really because of my life's work. The perspective that I bring mm -hmm. as someone who's had parents in prison and who's worked every day in the Hall of Justice for so many years, uh, but also because of the work I've done. And, and, you know, one of those projects that I've led is around money bail. And I mentioned that earlier, but, mm -hmm. you know, San Francisco and, and all of California has a system where a wealthy person can buy their way out of jail, mm -hmm. no matter how dangerous they are. Mm -hmm. While a poor person who may be wrongfully arrested, wrongfully accused of a low level crime with weak evidence against them will languish behind bars simply because of their poverty. It's a system that is both discriminatory and also undermines public safety. Mm -hmm. And so for many years, I've led litigation efforts in state court. We now have a case pending before the California Supreme Court. And in federal court, where I've won um, reversals of local practice from more than five different federal judges that have agreed with our argument that this undermines public safety and that this is something which discriminates explicitly, violates equal protection, mm -hmm. violates due process. As district attorney, I'm committed to ending money bail, mm -hmm. to never allowing my staff to put a price tag on freedom. If someone is too dangerous to be released to the community, then the fact that they're wealthy doesn't make them safe. Mm -hmm. And if someone can safely be released with appropriate conditions, right. the fact that they're poor should not be an obstacle to allowing them to go back to their family and community. Of course, yes. Now, there's another area that I think today with the racist Trump administration is more important than ever, and that's immigration. Mm -hmm. The Trump administration is using xenophobic nativist policies and rhetoric mm -hmm. to divide this country. It's using hate for immigrants as a way to drive a wedge between communities mm -hmm. and to scapegoat. It's a tremendously dangerous time across the country because of that really a scary approach that the Trump administration is taking. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be the only candidate in this race who has a long track record of pushing back against ICE, standing up for our immigrant communities. Mm -hmm. um, and I've committed to creating an immigration unit mm -hmm. in the district attorney's office once I'm elected. Let me tell you why. When local law enforcement cooperates with ICE, it undermines public safety. Mm -hmm. It distracts our resources that we need to be spending on local law enforcement priorities. And it undermines trust in immigrant communities mm -hmm. and makes it less likely that immigrants who are victims of crime or who are witnesses to crime will come forward and cooperate with local law enforcement. Mm -hmm. If we want to provide equal justice, if we want to protect everyone in San Francisco, mm -hmm. we need our immigrant communities to know that we have their back, that right. we will never cooperate with ICE. And I'll tell you, back as recently as 2012, in 2013, San Francisco still handed people over to ICE. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you got arrested as an immigrant in San Francisco and taken mm -hmm. to jail, at the end of the case, even if you were acquitted of all charges, even if the district attorney decided not to file charges against you, mm -hmm. the sheriff would hold you until ICE came and picked Ugh. you up. Now, I had a client in that situation mm -hmm. back in 2012. She was a grandmother from El Salvador charged with shoplifting Christmas presents from the Gap for her grandkids. And at that time, everybody said, there is nothing you can do. She's gonna get deported. She's gonna get handed over to ICE. And I, you know, luckily I've been to El Salvador, I've lived in Latin America, I mm -hmm. speak fluent Spanish, and I begged her to give me time to not listen to or accept that 
this was a hopeless situation. Mm -hmm. And I built a coalition. I worked with immigrant advocates across the city. I worked with her family who played a leadership role. And we persuaded the sheriff that he had not only the legal power, but the moral obligation to stop cooperating with ICE and to let her take responsibility. She pled guilty to mm -hmm. shoplifting and then go back to her family and her grandkids. Mm. After that case, we did it again and again until we persuaded the sheriff to institute a policy. And ultimately the board of supervisors passed a few months later, a sanctuary city policy that mm. I'm proud to say, I'm going to continue to defend as San Francisco's next district attorney. Great. Yeah. That's crucial. That's the track record um, that I've got. And here are some of the things we're going to do in keeping with that track record. Mm -hmm. Once I'm elected first, treat mental illness before crimes are committed, mm -hmm. not wait until people commit a crime and go to jail. Today, San Francisco's county jail is the number one provider of mental health services. It's mm -hmm. a disgrace. It's mm -hmm. ineffective. It's inhumane. And perhaps worst of all, it guarantees that we're going to have more victims of crime because we refuse to address the root causes until after someone is victimized. Right. That's got to change, and it will on day one when I'm district attorney. Second, we need to treat survivors of sexual assault with dignity. And that starts with testing every single rape kit. Mm -hmm. When someone has the courage to come forward after a sexual assault, submit their body to an invasive evidentiary gathering process, mm -hmm. cooperate with law enforcement, and then have law enforcement say, we're not gonna even bother to test the evidence. We're gonna let it gather dust in the evidence room shelves. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening today in San Francisco. That's what's been happening in San Francisco, and it will change when I'm district attorney. We will test every rape kit and treat survivors of sexual assault with dignity. And I'll give you one last example of something I'm committed to doing. Mm -hmm. Today, victims of crime are largely excluded from the process. Mm -hmm. Often, they never hear from the district attorney's office until and unless they receive a subpoena in the mail. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be the only candidate in this race to have committed to requiring my staff to contact every victim of every crime. I'm within 48 hours to give them a voice and to give them the right to participate in a restorative justice process that can help heal the harm that they've suffered instead of just using them to punish the people that have harmed them. Wow. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing that. It's my pleasure. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited about the possibility of working uh, with so many of the people in San Francisco, the community groups and organizations that yes. endorse me, the labor union, mm -hmm. the community activists um, who are part of this movement and who recognize that we can do a much better job keeping our community safe and treating people with dignity. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for your time and yeah. uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks to Chase Boudin for being here. We're going to take a bit of a music break and then wrap up the show in a little bit. Thanks so much for tuning in to Mutiny Radio. And we'll be back in just a bit.
And welcome back to the weekly review. That was Tribe 8 with the song Money Loves Me off the album Thanks for the Memories. Okay, so we got a little bit of time left, and I thought uh, we'd go over some news stories and other things that folks can do. So perhaps not even as many news stories, but more action items. So if you happen to be in New York on Wednesday, October 23rd, and again, we're currently broadcasting on October 22nd, you can go to the NNJ Letter Writing Night, which is Wednesday, October 23rd from 6 to 9 p.m. in East Harlem at 215 East 99th Street at the El Barrio Art Space. Join us to write to our incarcerated comrades. They'll have speakers, performers, and food. Uh, And they say, we'll be building community out here and across the wall. Come on through. And again, if you're listening to this perhaps after the 23rd and would like to participate in the future and or you know folks in new york who might you can follow them on twitter at no new jails all one word underscore nyc again at no new jails underscore nyc next up hmm yeah i thought i had prepared a little bit more i know where things are also the internet's currently down at the radio station and there's that thing where it's like fake it till you make it and i also think there's something to be said for vulnerability and checking in when things are not quite going uh, according to plan so yeah that's kind of what's happening here and perhaps that's why i feel a little bit on edge is that i'd like to put together a program that flows smoothly and sometimes it doesn't go as smoothly as i'd like and that's okay and in improv, they had that saying, uh, there's no such thing as a mistake. And I understand, I understand that. And also, sometimes it's nice to not have mistakes. And also, you want things to move smoothly. Okay, next up, it's an announcement. Yeah, we'll do announcements. Uh, there's a workshop, which is happening Saturday, October 26th. This workshop is a new three-hour workshop. Uh, building upon a newly debuted two-hour workshop, which happened this past Saturday at the Los Angeles Diversity Comedy Festival. And this is put on by Fernando Funes. And here is the information that's on Eventbrite about our teaching artist. Uh, Fernando Fuenes is the head writer, director, and co-executive producer of the Latinx comedy Pachanga a Los Angeles-based sketch variety show with the purpose of putting up Latinx comedians front and center. A graduate of the groundbreaking PAC Theater sketch program, Fernando writes and performs on Moonshot, which performs every first Sunday of the month at 8 p.m. at the PAC Theater. An improv performer with nearly 10 years of shows under his belt, Fernando has performed hundreds of shows in Orange County, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Berkeley, and even a handful of shows in South America. Fernando's Poem A Day project finds him writing a poem for every single day of the year. It's a great way to make sense of the chaos of life. The event is being hosted by Colorized Improv, an improv slash talk story movement expressing social, cultural, and personal experiences to explore and cultivate equity, representation, and inclusion. And there's an event bright link and a description. And... If you go to eventbrite.com forward slash how dash to dash right dash from dash your dash POC dash POV dash tickets dash 774-282-65025. And 
I'll read a little bit about the description and I'll also see if I can find a easier way to verbally share the link. Um, in this three-hour pop-up workshop, How to Write from Your POC POV, we will mine from our personal experiences, backgrounds, cultures, and histories to write deeply personal sketches that are true to our unique POC experiences in America. Learn how to use your experiences to create sketch comedy that is a reflection of your POC identity. Discover what a POC sketch is and its purpose, why sharing your POC experience is important, and how an approach to the sketch writing process can connect with audiences. For reference, we also will have fun watching a few POC sketches to see how others express themselves, and then we will come up with outlines of our own sketches. Who you are. You are you, a person of color who loves sketch comedy. You are seeking to learn how to use your unique POC experience to write sketches and, perhaps along the way, create comedy gold. By the end of the workshop, you will... One, learn why page one is the most important part of your sketch. Uh, Understand the basics of writing a three to four page sketch. Learn the importance of writing down your ideas ASAP. Build agreement with your audience about your sketch. Walk away with an outline of a sketch. Share in a Q&A among other workshop writers. What to bring with you? You do you, digital or analog, to write yourself Please, oh, yourself. Please arrive on time so we can dig in and get the most out of the workshop digital. Please bring a laptop computer or tablet with writing software with which you are comfortable. And then if you're doing analog, please bring a legal pad or whatever paper product or pen, pen or pencil on which you like to write. About our teaching artist, Fernando Fuenes is the head writer, director, and co-executive producer of the Latinx comedy Pachanga, a Los Angeles-based sketch variety show with the purpose of putting up Latinx comedians front and center. Okay, and I've read the bio, and I'll go here. Uh, Fernando's Poem a Day project finds him writing a poem for every single day of the year. It's a great way to make sense of the chaos of life. You can follow Fernando on Twitter and Instagram at Fernando A. Fuenas, and that's F, that's at F-E-R-N-A N-D-O-A-F-U-N-E-S. And so, yes, that's on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm going to see if I'm going to talk while I try something, so bear with me. And it's uh, one of those shows. I'm going to see if if we look on Twitter, if we can see if there's a link for the Eventbrite invite. This will take me just a moment. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to the weekly review midweek and also end of the week on Friday when this will be uh, playing. Okay. And looking here, I don't currently see a link on Twitter. However, I believe hopefully on Instagram you can also Check it out there. And then also there's a WordPress. There's a link to the WordPress site. So I'm going to see if there's a link there. Thanks for bearing with me. And thanks for tuning in. And best case, worst case, whatever case, check out eventbrite.com. Uh, and then if you type in the name of the workshop, um, hopefully you can find it there as well.
going to cut and paste it again. So yes, if you go to eventbrite.com and check out how to write from your POC POV. And again, it's hosted by Colorize Improv. It's happening Saturday, October 26, 2019, 1.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. at Counterpulse, which is at 80 Turk Street in San Francisco. A refund policy refunds up to one day before the event. And yeah, so please do check out this event. Okay. Back to some more items. Bolivia elected a an indigenous socialist um, to office, and there have been a lot of right-wing attacks, which seems to happen no matter what, which is deeply upsetting. So, yeah, that's awful. Um, ugh. And... Also in Chile, there have been a lot of uh, folks protesting. Um, the cost of living has been just ridiculously too high. And so folks have really taken to the streets. There's also been millions of people protesting in Lebanon. There's been people protesting in Haiti. People have been protesting everywhere. So wanting to announce that. <sighs> and I recognize uh, we're doing a really uh, brief synopsis of the news so please do if you'd like to follow me on twitter that's i mostly end up retweeting things and sharing news items from folks who are in these places i'm talking about so if you want to follow me you can do so at r-o-m-a-n-r-i-m-e-r also if you happen to be listening today on tuesday and you're in oakland and or can get to the east bay uh, dear aptp supporters oakland police are out of control they just violently arrested a leader of our community join us tonight at the oakland city council public safety committee to demand real police oversight and accountability to prevent opd crimes this is the oakland city council public safety meeting happening tuesday october 22nd at 6 p.m at oakland city hall sergeant mark dunnikin room first floor one frank h ogawa plaza in oakland the committee will read the community's proposal to radically reform the oakland police commission measure ll for the first time let's show up in force we'll also be supporting wilson riles who was assaulted by opd last week wilson riles a former city council member mayoral candidate and longtime civic leader in oakland was at a city office when he was thrown to the ground and violently arrested by opd tonight he asks his oakland community to show up as he protests his treatment and opd's treatment of black Oakland residents. Folks can also contribute to his PayPal account, which is at W-R-I-L-E-S at PacBell.net. Again, contribute to his PayPal at the email address is W-R-I-L-E-S at PacBell, and that's P-A-C-B-E-L-L dot net. And they also have an article for more info on OPD's violent assault of Mr. Riles. We read this article. APTP is a great organization. If you'd like to get more involved, you can find them online. And the article they've linked to is um, from SF Gate, and it came out on October 20th by the Bay City News Service. Ex-Oakland council member says he was forcibly arrested while complaining to planning department. <sighs> I'll read a little bit of this article. A former Oakland City Council member says he was forcibly arrested in the city's planning and zoning department on Thursday after an argument with staff stemming from a long dispute over having a sweat lodge on his property for his Native American spiritual practices. Wilson Riles Jr., 73, served on the Oakland City Council from 19... 
1992. He said that he was leaving the city office on Thursday morning. Um, that as he was leaving the office, city office on Thursday morning, he was confronted by police officers who threw him to the ground and handcuffed him without giving him any indication that they intended to intended to arrest him. An Oakland police spokesperson said the department would not provide any additional details about Ryle's arrest until Monday. Police logs indicated he was arrested. Oh, fuck, oh, fucking police! I'm not even gonna read their report on the pol- police logs. For more info, you can check out the article again at SFGate, and it came out on October 20th. All right. So we are coming to the end of the program. Again, thanks, folks, for tuning in. And I believe there was one more story I wanted to get to, and that might not happen just now. Yep. Oh, we got another one. Um, okay. So again, if you're listening, um, whenever you're listening, um, this is, this is about the, a lot of folks who are unhoused have been, had their items stolen, um, by police and department of public works, both here in San Francisco and in Oakland, as well as other places here in the United States and folks are coming together to protest. So this is a protest that's coming up this week. Uh, Caltrans is coming on Thursday, October 24th and October 25th. Upstairs, downstairs will be hit on Thursday. Gilman and Ashby shell mound on Friday. And again, these are uh, encampments. And the person has, says who wrote this says uh, that they've spoken to the majority of the residents and they have approved an occupation of the two encampments, meaning residents are inviting homeless throughout Berkeley to move to the Seabreeze slash excuse me, I-80 underpass to stand collectively together. Currently, homeless in downtown Berkeley are being harassed, and many are being cited with violation of the sidewalk ordinance. And a little bit more information. And just instructing for folks to share. Uh, Are you homeless in Berkeley? Are you housed and want to stand in solidarity with us? And we are asking all homeless who are tired of being kicked around, harassed, vilified, hated, and alone to join the encampments at the Seabreeze and under the I-80 underpass. We have room for your tent. Caltrans is coming this Thursday, October 24th. Come and pitch your tent so we can collectively tell the Bay Area that we are human and that we exist. Alone you can be harassed, but we can stand together as human beings to demand an answer to where do we go. So many citations are being issued in downtown Berkeley each week. There are evictions all through Oakland this week. We are welcome to, all are welcome to join us. This is a nonviolent action. No, you are worthy and you are not invisible. A movement has started. Join us. And it's under the hashtag, where do we go, Burke? And that's in Berkeley, as in Berkeley, B-E-R-K. And again, I'll, I also just want to uh, rephrase instead of saying stand up to, to show up is another way of using that. So yes, there's lots of ways that folks can show up. And yeah, all right. So that being said, I'll end on a, I'll do another Tribate song and have a great week, weekend, everyone. Uh, Thanks for showing up in any way you can. And we'll be back with another show on the following Friday. Yeah. There's a song called Sensitive. I'm a pretty sensitive person and perhaps you are too.
Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a... ...and dogs on August 18th to benefit Mission Language and Vocational School and celebrate the peak of sunshine. For more info, check out the Noise Pop Block Party website at... Are you tired of... ...and piles of filthy cash? I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for <laughs> is in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge with the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. Claw Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Claw Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Promenade Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. download a podcast and 
Minnesota podcast, and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm. Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm. Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm. District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. MutinyRadio.fm. Listen to live streaming radio. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to MutinyRadio.fm. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Nine months ago, a small hand-wrought baton began a journey in John O'Groats, Scotland, packed tenderly into the crusty saddlebags of some adventurous next to her underwear and can opener. At present, the thing is several time zones away, but on its way to San Francisco next month, Friday, October 4th, we will be celebrating its arrival with a party at Moto Guild on Treasure Island. Join us in welcoming the baton and her bearers, the Women's Riders World Relay, to Northern California, making its way back to Europe via everywhere from the furthest reaches of six continents, Europe, the Middle East, Asia, Oceania, and on its way 
across North and South America, igniting a global sisterhood of inspirational women to promote courage, adventure, unity, and passion for biking. There'll be music, food, entertainment, neat bikes to look at, stories to swap, art to ogle, purchase, and people to meet. Everyone is, of course, invited to bring the whole family. Admission is free, but bring a few bucks for food, bevies, a raffle, and cool stuff from vendors. On Friday, October 4th, San Francisco will be celebrating the arrival 